Okay, we're in the Word. We're in John chapter 10 today. And um, it's one of those days where it's going to read the Bible off of my phone instead of the book because I'll be changing pages left, right and centre. But John chapter 10. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Leona preached from John 10 and she looked at I am the gate. We're in the exact same story. It's the same conversation. It's simply just the next verse down. So you would know as we come to this moment that Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees. Uh, uh, He has just healed a man born blind. We'll look at that in a second. He's talking to the Pharisees about a true shepherd and true sheep. And he comes to verse 10 and he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, that's good. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was again some division among the Jews because of these words. Some of them said he is a demon, is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We're in an amazing passage of Scripture and the Lord has just been stirring my heart and I'm pretty excited to preach this today. And as I was thinking about it, it's one of those passages in Scripture that if you've been in church for a while and and some people here, church is a fairly new thing to you, but some of you are old heads. You've You've been around church circles for quite a while, long time. You've probably heard this passage or read this passage Many, many, many times. And I was thinking about when I uh, was young and I was in primary school, we used to sing a song. And the song was, I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-A-S-T-I-N. Anyone sing this? I am a C. I am a C-H. Come on. I am a C-H-R-A-S-T-I-N. And I am C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A. Some of you are looking at me like, what the heck is he talking about? And some of you are there like... And it finishes with an I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. I am a C. And then you keep going around and round and rounds. And it was great. And so at Sunrise Christian School, where I went to primary school, we'd sing this and we'd have rounds. And, uh, and Mr. Avery would be up there with his guitar, belting it out, having a wonderful time. But the reality is, is that for most of the years of my primary school, I couldn't even say LMNOP, let alone L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. And they, you know, you used to have the overhead projector. Anyone remember overhead projectors with the light which would shine onto the wall? <laughs> Ron does. And you'd shine the light up onto the wall. And again, there's the words, but... I couldn't say LMNOP. I'm not going to read off of an overhead projector. And most of the kids, the words are up there. Mr. Avery singing. I've got no idea what I'm spelling. It's all just letters. And so for the first few years of primary school, you sing this song. I've got no idea what I'm doing. So it's just like, I am a C. I knew that. I am a CH. I could get that. I am a CH. And I will elevate. Basically speaking in tongues for the whole song. And you do that for the first, you know, the first couple of years and it just becomes that song that you sing and I've got no idea what it means and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But because it's something that we've done and I've heard it a billion times, I just keep on doing it. Anyone? 
And so you can have a song that has this powerful proclamation that is basically young people saying, I am a Christian and I'm found in Christ and I'm going to live eternally in his life. That's what that song means. I had no idea because it was just letters in a song that I used to ramble along. And it wasn't until years and years later when I heard it again, I was like, oh, that's what that song means. It's not just alphabet soup. Like it's actually saying something about the nature of the person singing it. I think sometimes we can be like that in, you know, in all sorts of things in life, but especially in scripture and especially for people who've been around the church for a while. Because we read a passage and we read it over and over and over again. You hear it multiple, multiple times. The image of the good shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd. Good, yep, he's a good shepherd. Fantastic. But we never graduate past just the initial thought that Jesus is a good shepherd. And, we, and because of that, because it's so familiar, we never then dive in to try and actually get the depth of what it's saying. And we actually miss the blessing that's buried beneath the surface because we can't go past the surface because it's too familiar. Are you with me? And this is one of those passages. I don't know if there's any people who were born and raised city folk here. Anyone? Yeah, look at that. Is anyone here born and raised country folk? See, country folk, you read this differently to us city folk. Because I grew up a city folk and the idea of a shepherd to me was Keith Green's album with the lamb around his shoulders. With the beautiful curly hair and the cheesy grin on his face. And I was like, man, the shepherd's such a corny image. Like, why did Jesus use shepherd? I'm like, oh, maybe it's just soft and lovely and cuddly. You know, like, no, yeah, he's kind. Great. Move on. And it was an image that I didn't really love and I didn't relate to all that well. This passage was one I just kind of read and moved past so I could get to the good bits of Revelation where his eyes are like fire and his feet like burnished bronze. I'm like, that's my kind of Jesus. The shepherd, not for me. And then I came here. We moved to the Adelaide Hills and I met a bloke called Dale Mills. Some of you know Dale Mills. He's He's a sheep farmer who's a part of this church. And I realised, oh, maybe the shepherd's not (laughs) such a weak image because Dale's a fairly tough fella. And the more I started to get to know people and get to know uh, people who dealt with sheep, and I realised a few things. Firstly, shepherd's not the weak, soft, just Keith Green lamb over the shoulder. Actually, people who deal with sheep, people who work with sheep, there's something much deeper than that very gentle, soft image that maybe Jesus is trying to portray. And also sheep are more than just the little cuddly lamb that sits across someone's shoulders or in their arm. There's a whole lot about sheep that I didn't know. Firstly, they are less than intelligent. You could say that they are prone to folly meaning they're dumb. Sheep are not bright creatures, right? I read the other day that if a sheep runs out of grass in the paddock, it will just keep eating its own excrement until it dies. That's a sheep, right? They're prone to folly. Also, sheep will just, they just kind of wander off and do their own thing. But if one of them wanders off and another one sees, they'll be like, oh, right, I'll go with you. And then a few others see it and they're like, oh, okay, that's where we're going. And they'll all just go. So they kind of follow blindly. And thirdly, sheep are, how do I say this politely? They're weak. Sheep, like dogs have teeth. Cats have claws. You know, there's a whole variety of animals out there that have something to defend themselves against predators. Sheep have wool. They don't have a whole lot of capacity to defend against anything that would come against them. Right? They are solely and utterly and completely reliant upon the one who cares for them to ensure that they are protected against predators because they have zero capacity to protect themselves. And throughout the scripture, God has a habit of calling us sheep. That's quite offensive. I thought for many, many years it was because we were like the cuddly lamb that he just loves. (laughs) 
But I've realised what he's saying is you're prone to folly. You tend to follow dumb ideas and you're weak and completely incapable of defending you, yourselves against any adversary that actually has power. I'm like, wow, what a powerful statement. It's not a very loving statement. It's kind of an offensive statement, but it's entirely true. And so throughout Scripture, God speaks about His people this way, that we are sheep, and He speaks about Himself as being the shepherd of the sheep. And then He speaks of His leaders. He calls His leaders to be shepherds of the sheep, people who will lead the sheep in the right way because we need leading. And so as we come to this passage, you've got to, you've got to understand the context of all that Jesus is doing here. Chapter 10 follows on from chapter 9, right? And chapter 9 is a conversation between Jesus and some Pharisees about the nature of their leadership. And then he actually heals a blind man and has another conversation. And at the very end of chapter 9, the Pharisees say to Jesus, he goes, well, are we blind? You see, Jesus is confronting the leaders about the nature of their leading, about the nature of their shepherding and their capacity to lead Israel. And just in and of itself, as a healing, you think that's interesting. But the setting is what sets it apart. Because the setting is Hanukkah. Everyone say Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the Jewish celebration where they are talking about the rededication of the temple. It is the celebration where for years and years and years, it's in the intertestamental time between Jesus and the, the end of the Old Testament, where basically Jerusalem had come under terrible leadership and the temple had been desecrated by terrible leaders who hadn't looked after the people of Israel. And then you see the, the, the Maccabean, the Maccabean revolt, you history buffs. And then Judas Maccabeus, uh, Maccabean, he actually led this, this group of people and they, they overthrew the poor leadership and they rededicated the temple. And they had this miraculous moment where oil burnt for eight days, which is why Adam Sandler sings a song and he talks about, you have one day of Christmas and we have eight crazy nights. Because the Jews celebrate Hanukkah where the, the lamp burns for eight days on end. It's this celebration of God uh, getting rid of the bad leaders and reestablishing himself as the leader of Israel, purifying the temple. And this is Hanukkah where this happens. And as a part of Hanukkah, what the Jews would do is they would regularly read out the prophetic texts in the Scripture, the prophecies in Scripture that speak to the nature of, of Israel's leaders and God's plan to bring about the leader, the Messiah, the King. Let me read one. Go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. This is a common text that's read at Hanukkah. So when Jesus is healing the blind man in chapter 9, he's healing the blind man in the light of this being read daily over the people. Are you there? Ezekiel 34. Are you with me? Come on, church. Are you with me? Ezekiel 34. The Lord will be Israel's. Guess what the next word is? Shepherd. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, meaning the leaders of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals." 
My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. He said it three times. He's making a point. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Now watch this, verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And he goes on and he talks about how I will be the good shepherd to Israel. That's what's being read over the people as chapter 10 begins. These shepherds who he's claimed didn't heal, didn't care, didn't love, didn't nourish. Jesus comes and he heals. So he's demonstrating something about his nature and he heals someone who was blind, which means someone who was weak and lowly, someone who the the shepherds of Israel did not care about. He demonstrates the fact that he is the Ezekiel 34 shepherd. And then in chapter 10, he has the boldness to say what? I am the good shepherd. You've got to understand that. You've got to put yourselves in those shoes because it's in those shoes that you begin to see that this is the reason the Pharisees' jaws hit the floor. This is the reason the Pharisees like, man, we want to kill this dude because not only is he accusing them of being the Ezekiel 34 bad shepherds and saying you're not, like God's favour is not on you, you're not his people. He is also having the audacity to say, I am the Messiah. I am the good shepherd. I am God's, I, like I am literally God here to care for my sheep. That is a bold proclamation to make in the presence of the people. And that is what he is saying. And so when you read this, you have to read this in light of Ezekiel 34, but you also have to read it in light of another Old Testament prophecy, a psalm, which is one of the most famous psalms ever written, Psalm 23. Because when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, straight away Israel's mind goes somewhere. It goes to King David, who was known as the great shepherd of Israel. But even King David spoke of this shepherd who was to come, doesn't he? And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You see, David spoke of a shepherd who would come and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And Israel's sitting there and they're like, far out. Not only is he saying that we as the leaders are these these poor leaders, he's actually saying that he is the Lord who is the shepherd of Israel. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's not talking about he's this nice Keith Green character with a lamb around his neck. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I am the living God who has come to right the wrongs and care for the sheep and set them free. It's such an incredible passage of Scripture. It's such an incredible shepherd. And by saying, I am the good shepherd, one more contextual thing that you need to understand is the word good there is the Greek word kalos. Everyone say kalos. And kalos, is, it's, it's, there's lots of Greek words for good. And this is a word that is a, what I would call a holistic word. So it's not just talking about a moral goodness it actually, it actually means uh, beautiful, excellent, surpassing. Like it's talking about that he is in very nature all that is good. 
He is wonderful. He is exceedingly abundantly glorious. And he is that shepherd. Again, it's a very bold, powerful thing to say in the presence of those leaders. So he makes this statement, I am the good shepherd, which catches everyone, everyone's attention and offends many, many people. But he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to qualify why he is the good shepherd. And here's the thing, there's nothing more frustrating than people are all talk and no action, isn't it? We're at Beyond Bouldering with my family the other day and Benji's there and he's looking at his mate Seb Climb. He's like, oh dad, I can do that. You know, I can do that. I'm like, oh yes, show me. He's like, oh, you know, I, like, I'm pretty good at that. I'm like, prove it. You know? How annoying is it when people are like, boo, boo, boo. I'm like, just do it. Just prove it. There's nothing more frustrating than someone who's all hot air but no action. And the great thing about Jesus is he's always action. He's never just hot air. He's never just, you know, boastful comments. He's like, I will say something and now watch how I back it up. And so you get to John 10 and Jesus makes this claim, but then he backs it up and he goes on to talk about what qualifies him as the good shepherd. So here's what we're going to do. We've got Ezekiel 34 as a backdrop. We've got John 10 and Psalm 23. And what Jesus is doing, he takes Psalm 23, John 10, which is what he's talking about. He juxtaposes them against Ezekiel 34. And yes, I just used the word juxtapose in a sermon. That's for you, Martin Cheney. Now, Let's go. John 10. What's the first thing that Jesus does to declare, to qualify himself as the good shepherd? Verse 11 with Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jump ahead to verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Everyone say no one but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority. Someone say authority. Someone say it louder. To lay it down and authority. Someone say authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The very first thing that Jesus does to qualify himself as a good shepherd is he says, I have authority. I have am a person of authority. What separates me from every other leader is that I actually have authority. I am the Lord. I am someone who can back up my claims. And here's the evidence that I'm going to back up my claims. I am going to lay down my life and then I'm going to take it straight back up again. And this is what justifies me more than anything else. This is what proves my authority more than anything else. It's because none of these other leaders who claim to be leaders can lay down their life and take it up again. But I can and I will. I am the Lord. And so he proves himself. He says, this is my authority. This is the demonstration that I am the good shepherd is that I will lay down my life. I will take it up again. And in so doing, will free my sheep. I have authority. I have authority. First and foremost, we can trust him because he is a person with authority, the only one with authority. He is the Lord. Number two, he takes responsibility. Verse 12 and 13 of chapter 10, he takes responsibility. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. He takes responsibility. The Ezekiel 34 shepherd doesn't care. In John 10, he's saying, you shepherds don't care. You're like a hired hand. You're in it for the money. You're in it for your personal gain. But the moment the rubber hits the road, you're not there. You're gone. But me, the good shepherd, the Lord, the Psalm 23 shepherd, he guides and he leads. 
and he protects and he does all these things. He takes responsibility for his sheep. He says, I will take responsibility for the sheep. And actually in Psalm 23, I'm going to drop a few things on you. He takes responsibility in four ways. The first one is this. Note takers, write this down. The first thing he does is he gathers. He gathers the sheep. At the beginning of John chapter 10, it says that he calls the sheep by name and his sheep come to him. Do you know the most powerful thing that we, need, like that we can grab to help us in our walk with faith is to understand that we didn't find God, but he found us. He called us. He gathered us. We're not, it, it, it's not like one day we stumbled upon God and think, oh, there you are. No, he comes to us. He stirs our hearts. He draws us towards himself. This is what a good shepherd does. He calls his sheep and draws them unto himself. He gathers his people. Number two, he guides he leads me in paths of righteousness. He guides me. He, he takes me to green pastures and to still waters. He guides us along the way. Now, here's something that I've learned just recently. Again, Adelaide Hills, when we think of green pastures, we often think of something a bit like this, only bigger. We think of fields of beautiful green grass. It's like this, this sense of abundance and we just sit and it's, oh, it's all so lovely. And, you know, this iconic, beautiful green pasture. That's actually not what this is talking about. Because shepherds led sheep in the wilderness. And there's mountains and it's rocky and it's dry and it's barren. But what would happen is because of the moisture from the Mediterranean, because of the, uh, the nature of the winds and the nature of the rocks that each night the warmer wind would come and it would hit the rocks on the side of the hill and it would cause condensation to form. And then where the condensation forms, little green shoots would pop up all the way along the side of the mountain, along the side of the hill. So from a distance, it just looks completely dry and barren. But a shepherd knows where to lead the sheep. And so he would take the sheep because he knows where the pasture is. And he would take them onto this desert, dry, barren, rocky hillside, only to realise that all the way along are these tiny little tufts of green grass. And so he would lead the sheep and the sheep would feast on the green pasture. That's what it means by taking us to green pasture. It's not talking about the fact that there's this over excessive abundance. No, it's talking about meeting our needs, knowing where to find sustenance in barren and dry times. No one, no one needs guiding when there's just green pasture everywhere. But when it looks dry and barren, we need someone who can lead us and guide us and direct our steps that we know where to find the, the sustenance, where to find the food when we need it most. And that's what a good shepherd does. That's what the Psalm 23 shepherd does. That's what Jesus is saying he does. He leads us into those green pastures and the still waters. He drives in front of us. He guides his people. Number three, he guards. So he gathers, he guides, and he guards he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd guards his sheep. When you're in the wilderness, there's all sorts of predators. And what did we say about the sheep before? They don't have a whole lot of capacity to defend themselves. 
And so the good shepherd had a rod and he had a staff. And the rod is kind of like a club, right? It's like this, probably about that long piece of wood with like a big, thick ball on the end of it. And the rod was a means by which he could turn around and hold the little ball and go and lead the sheep. And then when a predator come, he'd flip it around and all of a sudden he's got a, what my father would call a rubber whacker. And he'd be able to, you know, you're not coming next to my sheep. And then there's the staff because sheep are prone to wandering. It's a big long thing with a hook on the end. And when the sheep got themselves in trouble, what the shepherd could do is use the hook to grab the sheep and pull it back. So there was a rod and there was a staff and all of these things were about guarding the sheep, guarding the sheep from predators, guarding the sheep from themselves. And how many of you know that sometimes in order to, to guard and in order to guide, sometimes direction needs discipline? Yeah? Amen? So you see, sometimes a shepherd would actually discipline the sheep in order to keep them next to him because it's for their own good. Do you know what I learned? That picture of the sheep around the neck of the shepherd, which we, we think is this beautiful, lovely image. Do you know what actually has happened there? Throughout history, when a young lamb would go off course and was prone to wandering and kept doing it, a shepherd would break its legs, put it on its shoulders and walk with it until the legs were healed so that that young lamb would learn that its safety comes in the shepherd. So the, the lamb would stop wandering. It would learn to, to cherish the presence of the shepherd. It's, it's not a lovely image at all. It's not a nice image at all. That's a shepherd who's gone, bang, I'm breaking your legs so that you will stay with me so that you would know that I am the one who guides and guards you. And I, in me, is safety and security. Apart from me is folly and danger. Sometimes God will allow us to go through stuff. Sometimes God will allow suffering as a means of discipline so that we would learn to lean into Him instead of walk away from Him. No one likes to say amen when we're talking about discipline, but it's true. It's not punishment. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. But God allows us to go through stuff for the means of wrapping us across His neck and saying, I've got you. Draw near to me. Stay close with me. I'm with you. So he guides us and he guards us. And I love the, the, the end of Psalm 23. Let's go there. It's such a great little moment. Because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And then verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He gathers, he guides, he guards. And guess what? He actually glorifies. He glorifies himself through us. Because when a, when a dumb sheep, when a weak sheep is seated in abundance in the presence of enemies... The glory doesn't go to the sheep. The glory goes to the shepherd who led him there. Come on, somebody. So he will do all of these things to bring himself glory by bringing about that abundant blessing for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. A day is coming when because of his goodness and his faithfulness, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will, it says, the scripture says that we will rule over angels. The scripture says that we'll be seated in heavenly places with Christ on high. We will be living in glory, but it's not for our glory, it's for his. Because when a sheep is being glorified, when a sheep is lording and ruling over angels, no one's going, wow, look how great the sheep is. They're all going, oh my goodness, how the heck did that happen? Because the shepherd, because the shepherd, look at him. Look how incredible he is. Look what he has done. These critters, these fallen, foolish, are seated there. Bible says even angels long to look in on these things because the angels are literally like, what the heck? I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to fall at his feet as we sung. I'm going to bow down before him because he did that. He brings glory to his own 
name. Isaiah 62, 3, you will be a crown. This is talking about us. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God because we'll be seated at a table in the presence of our enemies and our head will be anointed with oil. He is so good. So he has authority. This is what qualifies him. He takes responsibility. Let's jump back into John 10. What else qualifies him? There's two more things that he says before we close that he, he wants to make clear about his nature to the Pharisees that are listening on, listening on. Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Number three, he demands intimacy. The sheep know me. I know my sheep and the sheep know me. There are his sheep. He calls by name. He demands intimacy. Where does this blessing come from? Where does, who's he taking responsibility for? He's taking responsibility for his sheep. Those he has come, those who would trust in him, those who would look to him and know his voice. Because any stranger, this is what he's saying, any stranger can come in and call the name. Only Jesus. It's we respond to his voice. We can respond to all the other voices, but they're just thieves. They're just strangers. They're just wolves who are coming to steal, kill and destroy but he has come that we might have life and life to the full. The reason he, he, he guides and he guards, he has kicked the teeth of the wolf in. The wolf has no mastery over those who would trust in his name and have intimacy with him. The wolf is, the power of the wolf is gone. First Corinthians 15, where O death is your sting? It's gone. Why? Because the shepherd laid down his life in so doing destroyed the power of sin and death. He stomped on the wolf. So when we trust in him, the wolf has no power over us. The wolf can't get us, but we have to trust in him. That's the hope, trusting in him. There has to be intimacy. We have to know him as he knows us. It's a call. He demands that intimacy. And lastly, verse 16, he desires unity. I have other sheep and they are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about Gentiles and Jews, but he says one flock and one shepherd. Guess what that means? If we are in Christ, we are one. That means it's not about your pastor. It's not about your church. It's not about different congregations and denominations. It is about Christ, which means people who are worshipping right now in Sterling, in Allgate, in Mount Torrens, in Mount Barker, in Nan, in Littlehead, people who are worshipping all over Adelaide, all over Australia at this exact moment are a part of the one flock. We are not competitors. We are brothers and sisters. There is no competition in the house of God. It's not we're trying to take, still it's not that we're trying to, you know, bring ourselves up and lower them down. No, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the church must get this and leaders must get this. And any leaders watching this, we must learn to rally together. It is not about me trying to do stuff so that I can, you know, take your sheep. That's nonsense. They're Jesus' sheep. So if you have a need, then I will give to you to support you in that need. If I have a need, you will give to me to support in that need. We are one flock because the shepherd longs for unity. He even prays for it before he goes to the cross. I pray they would be one. And when the church begins to walk in unity, when we begin to walk as one, I guarantee you, we will begin to see genuine transformation and revival on the earth. But for as long as we're competing and comparing, the shepherd's looking at us being like, what are you idiots doing? Fighting amongst yourselves. Just look under me and come and eat the green pasture that I've provided for you. And help each other find it. So he, 
qualifies himself. He says, I have authority. I take responsibility. I demand intimacy and I desire unity. And because of these things, because I laid out my life, you can trust me as the good shepherd. Band, you can come up. We're going to close. But as we close, I want to bring this home. Because you might be saying, that's all well and good, Dave. It's great to look at Jesus and say all these things and learn maybe a few things I didn't know before. But what does it mean for me? Because we love to ask that question, don't we? What does it mean for me? You know, it says, remember the Lord and forget not his benefits. What are the benefits to me? Why Jesus? Why this good shepherd? In Matthew 12, verse 11 to 12, Jesus says something interesting. Again, talking to these Pharisees, these false shepherds of Israel. It says, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying here? Before, as I was going through my own personal journey of of trusting in Christ, growing up in the church, but landing in that space of, should I trust in Jesus? Should Should I really believe that He is this good shepherd? What's in it for me? The question I kept exploring was all like, why Jesus in compared to all these other worldviews out there, all the other religions, all the other ways of seeing, you know, authority on the earth. Why, why is Jesus the one? And stumbling across this started to bring it all home because Jesus is making a comment about a pit. He's saying, if your sheep falls in the pit, would you not bring it out? Wouldn't you reach in and grab it? The point he's making, as it says in Isaiah 53, that we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way and all the primary school teachers want to sing Colin Buchanan. We're all in a pit. That is our nature. Apart from him, we have fallen in a pit and it's a pit. It's not like a little ditch. It's a pit we can't get out of. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture yourself in a pit. Let's say that pit's five metres deep. There is no hope of you getting out of that pit in and of your own self. There's nothing you can do to get out. That's the nature of humanity. Now explore the worldviews. Imagine Buddha comes along. What does Buddha say as he walks past you at the bottom of that pit? Buddha looks at you and he says, well, that's your fault. That's karma. That's the result of past sins. So you deserve to be down there. And because you deserve to be there, I'm not going to help you because if I help you, then actually I'm, I'm connecting with sin, which is going to hurt my karma. And so Buddha would actually look at you in the pit and he'd leave you in the pit and say, well, that's the result of your own behaviour. That's true. That's just, that's what Buddhism states. Buddha would leave you in the pit. Look at Muhammad. What would Muhammad say? Muhammad would come along and he'd look at you and he'd say, well, you must have violated Allah's laws. That is Allah's vengeance upon you. And because of that, you deserve what you get. I'm just saying this is the foundational belief of what these worldviews are. It's saying that's the reality. You deserve to be in the pit. You have violated Allah and therefore you get what you get. Now, if you work hard enough, if you pray long enough, if you strive just hard enough, then maybe He'll give you the grace to get yourself out. That's between you and Allah. It's not my job to help. What would a Hindu guru say? A Hindu guru would walk up and he'd say, oh, the pit's an illusion. How can you know that the pit is really real at all? Maybe you're not in a pit. Maybe the pit is in you. There's no such thing as pain. Pain is just a construct of the imagination. The pit is just a construct of the imagination. This physical world doesn't really exist There's a spiritual reality out there that's a far greater reality. And this is just 
He's not going to help you. He's just going to tell you to try and imagine a different reality. What about, what about a, a new age life coach? <laughs> what does a new age life coach do? Comes up, stands on the edge of the pit, looks down and goes, come on, you can do it. <laughs> Believe in yourself. You have the capacity to do this. Come on, come on, you can make this happen. You, God is in you. Use the power of the universe that will inspire and empower you. And just maybe you can work your way out by the power of the universe. God is, God is in you. You are God. You are all that you need to get yourself out of this pit. So come on and do it. And I'll come back next week after getting $200 from you for your next session. What's the problem with all of them? We're still in the pit. We're still in the pit. Now, I'm not saying there's people who have those worldviews who wouldn't come along and lend you a hand. But what I am saying is by the very fact that they lend you a hand, their action reveals that they don't actually believe what their religion teaches is true. Because if they did, they wouldn't do the kind thing to do. They're saying that they know that there's a greater truth, that there's a better shepherd. Their actions reveal that reality. Come on, somebody. What would Jesus do? Psalm 71 verse 20. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the pit of the earth. What Jesus would do and what He did do is he would come along and he would hop in the pit and he would say, hop up on my shoulders and I'm gonna lift you out. And you're gonna walk in freedom because I am the good shepherd because none of these other shepherds are good shepherds. All of them are false teachers. All of them are strangers. All of them are wolves that come to steal, kill and destroy. There is only one good shepherd and the evidence of my good shepherdness is that I will get in the pit and I will draw you out but this pit can't contain me. It can contain you. You can't get yourself out. But because of my authority, because of who I am, because I am life and resurrection, I will arise from this pit. And when I arise from this pit, you will know beyond any doubt that I am the good shepherd who comes to save his sheep and set humanity free. And you can trust in me because I laid out my life for the sheep. That's the good shepherd. Final question to you. Whose voice will you listen to? Just look at me. Look at me for a second. We're almost done. Just look at me. Just come here. Every person, come here. Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the Good Shepherd? Are you listening to Christ? Or are you listening to all the other voices? Hebrews 3, 7, 15. See to it, brothers and sisters, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called day. That's why we do this. That's why we come on a Sunday. That's why Sundays are important, to be encouraged. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the end, just as that has been said today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Whose voice are you listening to? Do you hear the Good Shepherd? Do you hear Him saying, come, follow me? Do you see Him standing at the edge of your pit, lowering His arm and saying, come on. Trust in me. Do you need provision today? Are you on the side of a mountain and you've got no idea where to find the pasture? Trust in the shepherd. Are you thirsty and no idea where to find the living water? Trust in the shepherd. Are you going through significant trial, hardship, pain? Do you feel like you're under attack from the wolves and they won't let out and you feel like your bones are about to break and you're on the edge of your seat? 
and you don't know if you can make it another day, trust in the shepherd. Do you need wisdom today? Do you need direction and guidance? Trust in the shepherd. A life coach will give you a great motivational speech. The shepherd will give you life and wisdom. Trust in the shepherd. Trust in the shepherd. For he is good. Would you stand to your feet, church? Father God, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. We thank you that you have not left us in the pit. We thank you that you are the one with authority. You are the one who takes responsibility upon your own shoulders. You are the one who longs for intimacy and you are the one who creates unity. God, I pray that you would do all of that in our hearts today, that you would help us to trust in your authority, that you are the truth, that you would help us to see that we cannot get out of the pit ourselves. You are the one who we have to trust in. You have taken responsibility. You have laid down your life and you have taken it back up for us. Father, draw us to that place of intimacy. I pray right here, right now, that we would know your voice. For everyone here, who's finding it difficult, who doesn't know your voice right now, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, that we would look to you, that we would hear your voice and we would follow. Father, that we would walk in unity. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. You are the good shepherd who cares for the sheep. And we confess that we are prone to folly. We are prone to wandering. We're prone to stupidity. We're prone to a whole lot of things. But God, we just want to stay near to you. Let us hear your voice this day. And let us know that your mercies are new every morning. I just feel to declare that over this place. His mercies are new every morning. He's the one who goes after the one. He'll leave the 99 and he'll pursue the one because that's what the good shepherd does. I don't know what's happened in your world. I don't know what that struggle is, but trust in the shepherd for he is the one who pursues. He is the one who pardons. He is the one who protects and he is the one who preserves. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you can trust him because he laid down his life for his sheep. We give you glory, Lord. We worship you. We honour you for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 